As we start to talk in the sermon this morning, some of you knew that I wasn't feeling very well Thursday, and I'd kind of been running on, on empty for a while, and, and uh, just before I went home and slept for four hours, and then woke up and ate dinner, and then slept for more hours, um, a friend called me, a pastor in town called me and said, hey, just checking in, and he, and he goes, man, you, you sound weary, and he prayed for me, and he said, I want to pray for you. And, and, and that's kind of was the moment that of the week where I sort of felt God's, uh, waters just sort of flush, flood into my heart. And, and even though I slept for a couple hours afterwards, I can look back and say, you know, the body of Christ really took care of me. And I'm really glad because I don't like being low energy. And some of you would know that, that I'm, that I, I like kind of bouncing around and doing stuff. And, but this but this morning that feeds into it that, you know, even though I don't like mornings very much, that's a surprise to you. Yeah. Morning starts at 11. <laughs> no, um, that, that is, that is actually a standard phrase that, that many of you have heard come out of my mouth. I, I do that, but five o'clock came around this morning and I woke up and I just, I was just actually just in love with God's word this morning. And I, and it kind of woke me up and I was just praising God for how his word um, could come to me and sort of put something together for this morning. And I got up and I jotted something down and then I recreated the sermon around that. But I want you to hear that. If you just read something and then had it woke, wake you up later and, and you're just thankful for the way that God's word works in your life. I want you to know that that's still happening for me. Now, you might think, but you know all that stuff. Yeah, there's no way to know it all. There, that ship has just sailed. So let me get into this text. This text um, has five stories in it, and I'm, I'm going to connect them. I just promise you I'm going to connect them all, but I'm going to read them all in the beginning, and you can just you can kind of go back with me and talk to me about that. But I want to make sure that we read all five of them. And I'm at um, Luke 18, really excited about the Word of God working. That's where I'm at. Is that where you're at? Perfect. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. He said... There was a certain judge in a city who neither feared God nor cared about people. Have you met that person? And neither feared God or, or cared about people. He's going to say some other stuff, and you'll know this person because you'll just do that. Maybe you were this person at some point, but that's not, that's not this thing. A widow, widow of the city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while, but finally said to himself, this is the person I'm talking about. I neither fear God nor care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. And I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. One of the commentaries says, she'll give me a black eye publicly if I don't take care of her. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even as he rendered a just decision in the end, so don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? 
Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth with faith? Story one. Story two. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Have you met that person? I'm so sorry. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat and I don't sin and I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat on his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay, third story. One day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus. And this, is not, this is not teens, this is toddlers. Little children, itty-bitties. So Jesus could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Have you met that person? Yeah. Then Jesus called for the children and said to his disciples, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Okay, so the first story was, you ready? What was the first story? Go back to that. The persistent widow and the bad judge. The second story was the Pharisee and the tax collector. How you pray matters, right? The third story is the children. The fourth story is this. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Then Jesus heard his answer. He said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich. And he said, when Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who can be saved? And that's a cultural statement you need to know about, that the cultural commands around the law and how you would do all this stuff really meant that the rich were, all, were the only ones that could really do everything necessary, all the little precepts of the law, that, that the poor struggled to pay for those things and, and all that. 
then who in the world can be saved if the rich can't be saved? Jesus answered, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Okay, that's the fourth one. The fifth one is this, verse 31. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. We will be handed over to the Romans, and he will be mocked and treated shamefully and spit upon, and they will flog and whip him and kill him, but on the third day he will rise. But they didn't understand any of this, and the significance of his words was hidden from them, and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. Now, those stories don't seem just directly connected, but I want to connect them for you in this thought. And I'm going to go through them a couple of times, just, just really quickly, just so you know what's going on. In John chapter 3, there's a visitor, a teacher of the law that comes to Jesus at night, and he asks a series of questions. You remember one of those things Jesus says, unless you be born of water and of spirit, no one can enter the kingdom of God. And what's Nicodemus say? He says, huh? I'm paraphrased. Huh? How is that possible? How can I enter back in? And Jesus said, if you're a teacher of Israel, you don't know this. What's going on? Here is the same story. That's almost the, the tablet of understanding what's going on in this story. If I read this story and I say, maybe I'm Caiaphas, the high priest in chapter 11 of John, saying better, it's better for one man to perish than for us to lose our spot. Let's, let's go back through this. So you've got this judge being bothered for justice. He's Caiaphas, remember, an unjust judge. And he's saying, look, I, I don't want to do this because I don't want to get a black eye, but, but you know, my public reputation matters and I'm just going to take care of it. Isn't that what Caiaphas did with Jesus? Look, our reputation matters with the Romans. And then he says... Um, but I, I don't really care what they say about him. I'm going to seek my own justification. I'm going to look right in my own eyes. We're going to take care of this. That's the second story. He becomes the Pharisee praying, I'm so glad I'm not like them. And then in the third story, where's the Pharisee? Where's that attitude come out? Have you ever heard this? Hey, put the children aside. There's adults here doing adult things. Right? Let the professionals take care of this. You guys, you guys just will handle it. And there's no joy in the journey. Where's the fourth one? Well, I've got all this stuff. I've sought my own reputation. I'm doing important work with adults here. And you want me to give up my place in the pecking order? No stinking way. And so what do they do with Jesus when he goes to Jerusalem? They crucify him, they beat him, they hand him over to the Romans, and he is crucified. Can you see what's going on inside their hearts and minds? You can see this, you've seen it in other people. Maybe you've even known this in your own life. I have. 
But let's, let's not live there for this moment. Let's let God convert this justice that we saw into something else. So let's read this from the other side. Let's read this from his believers, that even if a bad judge would do this, how certainly will God come and give justice for his people swiftly? But his justice is not like, it's not slow in coming like we all figure, and it doesn't come in the same way that we all figure. But, but let's do this from, from, the, from the believer's perspective. We come and we've got problems and we come to God. How many of us, before we really knew God, came to God and said, I need justice. I've been wronged. And you keep calling out to him and you keep calling out to him and he starts interacting with you and pretty soon you start to see the world from his point of view and the second story is there and now you're not the Pharisee, you're the, you're the tax collector going, I've done wrong. You start to see that people are calling out for justice against you because you've been part of the problem. And you see the world, it starts to change. And you start to say, be merciful for me, for I am a sinner. This, is, this really is, this is really the moment where Nicodemus comes and, and he's got this question. I got little stickies all over the place here. And he says, how can I be bored again? Well, when you recognize you have a need and you call upon that need and you say, God, take care of me, have mercy on me, what does the scripture say in that line? Who went home justified? Well, what does justified mean in the scriptures? Cleansed, washed clean, taken care of by God. You have now had your spirit, your birth as a spirit, and you, you were born of water already, and now of the spirit. And so now, what are you? You're new. You are the little kid in the next story. Just walking around, just the joy of the Lord is upon you. Has that ever happened to you, that the joy is just upon you, and you are just in love with God? Woke me up this morning. Thank him so much. I just, I, I had this song going through, I stand, I stand in awe of you. You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension. Just in love, you're a little kid in a candy store, and the kingdom of God is yours. But now the fifth story comes, and there's all these possessions you've got in your life, and you've been working on your own way, but you're not, tra- you're not, you're not trading on your own salvation anymore. Now you're, you're in God's salvation. What do those things mean? I, I, I think of it this way. Um, I used this example in the last service. It doesn't exactly fit, but it works a little bit. I, I have the ability to take off a jacket just about anywhere and leave it and never remember where it went. <laughs> you know, it might have been a really nice jacket. I, I, I asked this, is it five or six coats I've lost over the years? I just lose them. Take them off, set them down. They don't own me. Some of them were really nice. One of them was a mariner's jacket that that was given to me, right? Pretty nice coat, right? Does your stuff own you? 
Are you free of it? I mean, I'm not saying that you have to get rid of it, but but when you're part of the kingdom of God, the things you have, the, the possessions you have are not, they don't create you into a certain person. They're things you have to give or use or whatever it is just to help you on your way. All because of the conversion that happens in the fifth story, that fifth story, that text is that Jesus goes and is crucified and God's justice is poured out on him for every single thing in the world. So all those cries for justice are answered at the cross, at the cross, oh, the wonderful cross. All those cries for mercy are then granted at the cross. And we are made young at the cross. It happens on the inside of us. It starts to happen inside of us. And then it starts to overflow. And pretty soon you're just spilling grace and mercy onto everybody. This is how these stories work together. There's something else here, though, that, that there's this line in this text that just it echoes in my mind. It's verse 8. I just want to go back to it. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Well, what does it mean to have faith? It means that you've kind of gone through this process, doesn't it? That you've become new, you have this new life, and you're converted. So maybe you're not screaming for justice for you now, but maybe screaming for mercy for everyone else. This mercy that I've been given, can, can you just give that to somebody else over here? Maybe, maybe they're a thorn in your flesh too. Instead of praying for justice for them, pray for mercy. It's the same thing almost in the, in the cross, in the cross. That my, pleas, er, my early pleas for justice have been converted to mercy because I don't deserve better. I just, I just need help. Well, doesn't somebody else just need help? I added this in the net last service. I want to add it here. This is... Um, from Isaiah 59, where God puts on his armor and comes and visits. I won't read quite as much as I did in the first service. I was trying to find the text of this. Um, this is a description of people when God comes and visits and they're not without and they're without faith. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, and his ear is not dull that it cannot hear. But you're in your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips speak lies and your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justicely and no one goes to law honestly. Does that sort of sound like the world we live in? They rely on empty pleas and speak lives, and they conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs and weave spider's webs. Who eats their eggs dies, and the one that is crushed is the and the one that is crushed a viper is hatched. 
their webs will not serve as clothing and men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are iniquity and deeds of violence are in their hands. On and on and on it goes. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far off. The Lord saw it, this is verse 17, and it displeased him that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. What is the role of faith in the world? Why does God put on his armor? Just a second, I'm gonna, he's going to put on his armor and do all this because no one is interceding. What does it mean to intercede? To cry mercy for somebody else. When the Lord comes, when his time of visitation comes, how many will he find? Will he find any? Here it is. There is no one to intercede. And then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. And he put on the righteousness as a breastplate and his helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, he will repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to the enemies. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and the glory of his rising in the sun. And he will come like a rushing stream in which the wind of the Lord drives. I'm going to close this up here. We've got this story, this this two ways of seeing the world, that Jesus is crucified at each end of the story, isn't he? he he's brought to it by, by Caiaphas, who says, well, it's... It's really, he's kind of a troublemaker and it would be better for us to get rid of him than for us to lose our spot to the Romans. And so they do that. And they call that justice because they've self-justified themselves at the cross. But out of that is the God who works everything together for good for those called according to his purposes. Those crying out for justice, saying, where's the justice of God, which is not, which is not slow as we encounter slow, but, but, but he's patient and kind and gracious. And at the cross, that, that justice becomes mercy because the justice is poured out on him. The sin of the earth is laid on him and forgiven. And we become converted because it shows us who we're not and who we are. And we start to seek mercy for ourselves and in that become little kids and we are reborn new because we are forgiven. The sin runs red, but but we've been washed white as snow. White as snow. So when God comes, will he find people interceding for the world? Yes, the people who've been made new will seek mercy for others. May you seek mercy for others. It happens on the inside first that that cry for mercy happens to us from justice. We start doing that and then we start starts coming out of our mouths and we intercede for others. This is, I find myself at this crossroads of scripture where almost everything leads to these stories. 
so thankful for the Word of God. I stand in awe of the Word of God, which is a double-edged sword, sharper than anything, and it will cut both ways. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, help us to see ourselves through your eyes. But don't stop showing us people that from that spot. Show us our neighbors through your eyes that we might intercede and cry mercy for them and cry out in the streets. Help us be your kids, running in joy of the Lord and having that life fill us, be with us, convert us, change us, and then drive us to do mercy. In your precious name, amen.